Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Bellato, joined, as always, by Chris Flum, and we are here today to preview the New York Giants Week 7 matchup against the Washington Commanders. I believe that's their name. This season, Chris and I were not able to do our live show after the Week 6 close loss to the Buffalo Bills, so I wanted to ask you, Chris, how was your weekend, bro? My weekend was actually great. You know, I was off with some friends helping them celebrate their anniversary, uh, kind of out where the phone lines don't run, just almost completely disconnected in a little mountain skiing town kind of between in Maryland, between Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And it, it was really nice to actually just kind of get away from really kind of everything, even though it more or less rained all weekend. It was still a, a really great weekend. <laughs> Chris, you were chilling where Deliverance was filmed. Is that right? <laughs> uh, almost. <laughs> not too not too far off, but we're here to get into this matchup and also start with this injury report, Chris. Man, this injury report has been brutal this season, and we have to start right with the signal caller. Daniel Jones, he was limited again in practice on Thursday. He's throwing. This is the second day in a row he is throwing but he is not cleared for contact. And honestly, I'm getting big Tyrod Taylor vibes or Turrod Taylor vibes for this week seven matchup against Washington. He did say, Daniel Jones, that his symptoms, he, he told on Sunday Night Football, the I can't remember her name, but the sideline reporter, that his symptoms were in his neck and an extended down through his left arm. So that's not a great sign. Are you getting those same Tyrod Taylor vibes? Yeah, I am like, this is the thing we've been really consistent on. If you have any questions at all about like the brain, the nervous system in general, just take your time on that because those injuries are scary. It really does take just one wrong hit if you're not healthy or if there's anything, anything wrong that you might not even be able to detect just like by feeling it, you would really need like imaging like MRIs, CAT scans, that sort of thing to know is wrong. One bad hit and it's a life-changing injury. And the Giants do not need Daniel Jones back that badly. At the end no. of the day, it's a game and he has the rest of his life and rest of his life ahead of him. Uh if there is any question at all, I would say just start Tyrod. And frankly, Tyrod was pretty good against the Bills, at least from what I've been able to see. Yeah, he, he's got some juice left. He absolutely has some juice left. His offensive line was a little bit more improved with the 
return of Justin Pugh and then also Saquon Barkley being there assisted in that. But yeah, Tyrod, he slung it and the ball jumps out of his hand as well. I was pleased with what I saw from him and I'm excited to watch more of his tape if Daniel Jones cannot go. Andrew Thomas also did not practice with his hamstring. John Michael Schmitz with his shoulder. Matt Parrott with his shoulder. Evan Neal has been limited with his ankle. It looks to me like Evan Neal and to a lot of people, Evan Neal's battling through this ankle injury and the Giants really need him out there. And that says a lot because he is not developed. A lot of Giant fans are sour at him, not just for his comments about burger flipping and hot dog flipping, but also because his play has been lackluster and hasn't lived up to the seventh overall pick in any draft. But with that said, you're playing Justin Pugh at left tackle, or at least you did last game after Josh Azudu's injury, and now he is on IR. So your depth at tackle is troublesome. The Giants recently have brought back Tyree Phillips. Maybe that can help assuage this issue, Chris. And they've also added the Joshua Miles, I believe his name is, off of Atlanta's practice squad. They've gone fishing and added a bunch of different people. But what is your take on this offensive line? Do you have a combination that you think is going to rise up to the top? And that's what we'll see on Sunday. You know, I think they'll, assuming Evan Neal doesn't have a setback, assuming he is healthy and ready to go, if he is their best option at right tackle, I wouldn't be surprised if the combination that finished last week against Buffalo is what the Giants bring out against Washington. You know, Washington, their defense is not nearly as good as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. We'll get into all of that and why in a little bit, but they still have some guys to be wary of. And the offensive line, yeah, Tyra Taylor got sacked three times. That is an improvement for the Giants offense compared to the first four games of the season. So I I think if at all possible, the Giants will just kind of try to keep that continuity going. It's not ideal having guards play four of your five positions and then an injured right tackle, but I think right now it might be their least bad option. Which is wild, man, because you look at the practice squad. The Giants have Jalen Mayfield, Jalen Thomas, and then Yande Kajust on the practice squad, and in order to get Joshua Miles and Tyree Phillips, you had to put them on your active roster. So both those guys are on the active roster. We may see them. They've been here for less than a week. I mean, crap, freaking Justin Pugh was straight off his couch, as he said. That's what I don't know if you caught that, Chris, but I did. He, yeah, he said that um, on his Sunday and everyone, you know, made its rounds. Great marketing ploy by Justin Pugh and and just uh, he seems like a really um funny guy at the same time, man. But you had this guy playing left tackle. He he was, what, three practices in with the New York Giants, was going to play left guard for you, and then had to jump over to left tackle after about nine snaps. That's remarkable. I don't know if it's going to be him or Tyree Phillips, regardless of the fact. It's uh, better personnel in there now than two weeks ago, and that's a, at least a step in the right direction, albeit it's not exactly where we want it to be. Let's get JMS and Andrew Thomas back healthy. Yeah, absolutely, and... I think Andrew Thomas, I the Giants definitely did not see this hamstring injury lingering like this. Yeah, he had that setback two weeks ago. Hopefully he is on the mend, but the fact that he isn't practicing still, that is a bit concerning. I think if they need to make any more roster moves, they might put him on the injured reserve just to make sure he is able to get back fully healthy. I mean, it wasn't 
that long ago. Well, actually, it was that long ago now, almost a decade, that Odell Beckham had basically the first quarter of his rookie year wiped out by a hamstring injury. You know, he missed his offseason program. He missed all of training camp, all of the preseason, and the first quarter of the regular season. Yeah, those hamstring injuries, if you get a setback, they are just very, very nasty, especially for a position like the offensive line where you have to apply pressure against another massive human being. You have to move in ways that are just not normal for a human. You have to be in that stance, in that squat all the time, and that's hard on the hamstrings there. It's so miserable, man, that Andrew Thomas hasn't we haven't seen Andrew Thomas other than that first drive, really, because he played just inexcusably through the rest of that Cowboys for a lot of that Cowboys game with that hamstring injury. But, you know, I digress a little bit. Let's go to Washington. Washington has a few injuries themselves. Kendall Fuller was DMP in practice. He is there, used to be their slot cornerback, but now he almost, I think, exclusively plays on the outside, spent some time in Kansas City as well, went back to Washington, a very savvy, good cornerback on the outside. I'm not certain if he's going to play. He's DMP. I think that was on Thursday. No, no, I think that was Wednesday. So we'll have to wait and see if he gets a limited in there. Montez Sweat did something to his thumb. I uh, talked with uh, uh, somebody who uh, covers the Washington, Washington B. He says he believes Montez Sweat is going to play. But Sweat, Jonathan Allen, and Cam Curl are all limited that was on Wednesday's practice. If they're limited in Wednesday, I imagine unless they have a setback, they're going to play. And that's not great for the New York Giants because all three of those football players are three of the most underrated football players in the National Football League. I think Washington's defense in general is just, look, as a unit, they may not be the best with Jack Del Rio calling the plays and they can give up the explosive play. But Cam Curl, I turn on that kid's tape, Chris, and I'm like, that guy is a football player. And I said that back in his rookie season. Jonathan Allen, one of the most stout defensive linemen up front, along with Deron Payne. And then Montez Sweat, Chase Young gets all of the hype, maybe rightfully so when he is healthy, even though he's still battling back. He's played and he's looked pretty solid from what I've seen. Montez Sweat is just a beast of a human being as well. So Washington, you know, missing Kendall Fuller is going to hurt. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But what is your take on these Washington injuries? Yeah, I think the Giants would really prefer that those guys take their time coming back from their injuries. I think this is going to be one of those games that will be won or lost in the trenches along the line of scrimmage between the two offensive and defensive lines. And I think that's something we're once we get into kind of breaking down the matchups on both sides of the ball, we're going to get into a lot. Montez Sweat is just a big, long freakishly athletic dude and yeah chase young gets a lot of a lot of attention and the way he's playing now that he's finally healthy this year that's kind of rightly so but montez sweat is he is a very difficult matchup and if he is able to use his hands at all that is a matchup i would kind of be worried about with justin Pugh, just because of how how long and how explosive Sweat is. You know, that that is the one thing that kind of held Pew back. And the reason why he wasn't able to stay at offensive tackle for the Giants is just that he doesn't have that length. And Montez Sweat has that in spades. And then John Allen, 
he could be a very difficult matchup along the interior for the Giants and whoever happens to be there. Uh, you know, Marcus McKethan is a powerful dude, not particularly fleet of foot. Allen is, like you said, he's very stout, but he is also very compact and explosive as a defensive tackle. So that And crafty with his yes. hands, and that's where I'm yes. scared with McKethan. Because McKethan, he's just a big, broad body, right? Like just a yeah. mountain on the offensive line. But if you know how to use your hands, he doesn't necessarily fully comprehend how to under or how to combat that yet. And you could see these really just not even explosive pass rush. Or they don't have to be explosive pass rushers, but people like Dexter Lawrence, for instance, who just really know how to maximize their hand usage. They can get underneath McKethan and also get to his side to where that lack of elite foot quickness can be exposed. Yes. And I have to say that that is something that is concerning to me, like as well as the Giants offensive line played against the Buffalo Bills this past week, the Bills did just take a gut punch to their defense, losing Daquan Jones and Matt Milano right up the middle. And those were kind of the two best players they have in their front seven. If Washington is mostly healthy along their defensive front. They have some very rough matchups for the Giants, particularly with Chase Young being healthy and playing better than he has in the last couple seasons. He's he's starting to look like he did his rookie year, like the player we're kind of expecting coming out of Ohio State. Yeah, Chase Young is a he's a good football player, and I don't know if Giants Twitter is going to be able to handle him getting a couple sacks in this game. If that happens, hopefully it does not. The protection holds up in the Giants game plan, getting Tyrod Taylor off of his normal launch point, getting him off to the side as the Giants attempted to do Daniel Jones a lot this year. Hopefully that works out once again like it did against Buffalo. Chris, before we get to Washington's offense, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Chris, Washington's offense. Let's dive into this. Sam Howell is their signal caller. Look, this is, what, a fifth-round pick two years ago. He was chilling on the bench last year behind Taylor Heineke has kind of a big arm. When I turn on Sam Howell's tape, this dude isn't scared to uncork it, but he holds on to the football so much. He leads the league in sacks right now, and a lot of people will attribute that to the offensive line. But if you turn on the tape, 
there are times where I'm like, all right, Sam, you, you got to let go of the football, buddy. You got uh, oh, you sacked. So I think a lot of the sacks that he he suffers are a product of him. And I think the Giants, man, their last two game plans have been we're going to align in two high shells. We're not going to bring out as much pressure as we usually do. That is not Wink Martindale's philosophy typically. But when you go up against explosive offenses like the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills, that's what you're going to do. I think it's going to be a lot different against Washington. I think Wink Martindale is going to dial up that pressure and try to get this kid to hold on to the football too long. Yeah, and that that kind of has been his game going back to at least his last year at North Carolina. Yeah, you know, the year prior to his, I believe it was his senior year at North Carolina, Sam Howell was pretty highly regarded. He was widely considered at least a fringe first round prospect because he's got that big arm. He is a very athletic quarterback. He's a great runner, which is something I think we're going to get in, get into. But then North Carolina, they just, they're, they lost a lot to the, to the NFL between Hal's junior and senior year. And his draft stock just kind of plummeted his offensive line two two players of which are currently on the giants, Marcus McKethan and Joshua Zudu. Yeah. That offensive line didn't do a great job of protecting him. Howell was the North Carolina rushing attack. Like he just was their best runner and Josh downs, the wide receiver. He wasn't, he hadn't fully matured. He hadn't blossomed yet so that senior year it was just kind of uh almost like a no man's land talent wise around sam howell so i think he still kind of has that well i'll do it myself mentality in the nfl and he's surrounded by a lot better players now he's got two very good running backs he's got three good receivers he's got a good tight end but he, like you said, he still holds on to the ball way too much. He's either looking for that big play or he's scrambling to try to make something happen himself with his legs. And I think you're right. I think Wink, Wink Martindale is going to turn, he's going to turn the temperature back up. I don't, I would be stunned if the Giants are blitzing 80% of the time again, but I expect to see a lot more blitzes than we saw the last two weeks against Miami and Buffalo. It's going to be a lot easier to confuse and just mess with Sam Howell than it is Tua or Josh Allen. Yeah, and if he just holds on to the football a little bit too long, I, I like again, man, I think the I think the Giants are going to they're going to be satiated a little bit in the sack department. They need to, Chris. They have 5 sacks on the season. That's dead last in the league and Kayvon has 4 of them. Like the Giants need to get some sacks. And they're what, like fourth in the league in blitz rate and like 25th in the league in pressure rate. It hasn't been a great look for Wink Martindale. I think Wink Martindale is the furthest thing from the problem with this team right now. And I think we're going to see some regression to the mean. And they're actually going to get home with some of these blitzes against Sam Howe, especially if he's holding on to the football like he's been doing over the last several weeks. Eric Bienemy is their offensive coordinator. Eric Bienemy comes from the Andy Reid tree he was a offensive i think his title was offensive coordinator there although andy Reid, i believe called a lot of the plays but the enemy man he's pass happy i think right now washington throws their run to pass ratio is 66 percent in favor of the pass 
And I looked in, I was like, is that because of game script? And, it, and not necessarily the second half of the Chicago Bears game. I think they threw the football every single play. So maybe that skews it a little bit. But they do appear to be a little bit more pass heavy than maybe they want to be. Or is that just Eric Bieniemy's, uh style? I'm not really 100% certain on that. I was wondering if you had a beat on that. And then we'll talk about whatever the hell's going on with this wide receiver room because that's a little bit awkward too. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Part of the reason why Bienemy is is in Washington is to get out from underneath Andy Reid's shadow and kind of establish himself as an offensive mind, as a play caller, as a head coaching candidate. And I think we are kind of still figuring out who he is, what his tendencies and preferences are. Yeah, you know, like you said, the that Bears game that has to skew the tendencies, just the totals as far as pass versus run some yeah i do honestly think the enemy does tend towards being a pass happy offensive coach and part of that i think is due to that wide receiver room because they've got good receivers like you've got terry mclaurin you've got curtis samuel you've got Jahan dotson you've got logan thomas at tight end you've got antonio gibson as your backup running back it makes sense to want to throw the ball to those guys. Brian Robinson's a great running back, but when you've got so many other weapons around him, it makes sense to spread the ball around, and that's going to mean airing it out. It is going to mean airing it out, but you would imagine one of the primary people who are going to benefit from that is your first-round pick in last year's draft, Jahan Dotson. And he's kind of been MIA this entire season, which is a problem, right? Because we expected him to kind of step up and be the 1B to Terry McLaurin. Curtis Samuel has somewhat assumed that role. And Curtis Samuel is a very talented wide receiver in his own right. This is a very good 11 personnel package that Washington has. But talk around Washington, when you turn the games, I was like, where is Jahan Dotson? What the hell is going on with him? We know Scary Terry is going to take advantage of the Giants. Gary Terry always ends up doing something bad to the New York Giants. Harley agrees, obviously. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, am, I am concerned about one thing. I think this could, I mean, if Jahan Dotson is earning snaps, which he is, and he's right and he's not injured, this could be a somewhat breakout game for whoever is aligning in the slot when the Giants are in base personnel. I think Logan Thomas can also get fed. He has a really high target share within this offense, which is also maybe not a surprise because it comes from the Andy Reid tree, but Logan Thomas isn't you know, Travis Kelsey at all. So no. I wanted to ask you, man, like, what's your what's your opinion on this Jahan Dotson situation? And do you think quick game, A, that's going to get the football out of Sam Howell's hand very fast, whenever the Washington football team, whatever the hell they're calling themselves these days, Whenever they're in 12 personnel plus, which they run 11 personnel a lot, like 88% of the time or something, but when they are in 12 personnel, the Giants are going to match them in base. And I think that's a way Washington could try and exploit the second level where Bobby O'Carrick and Micah McFadden typically are because there's so much space in the Giants base personnel because when the Giants are in base, they have five guys on the line of scrimmage trying to gap themselves out, right? But that leaves so much space behind them. And that's why we've seen teams like the Cardinals and teams like the 49ers use quick game, just simple slant, flat, stick, stuff that's very simple, right? Against the Giants base personnel to their advantage. So I'm wondering if we see more 12 personnel from Washington to use quick game to get the football out of Sam Howell's hands so fast that the Giants can't necessarily get home 
with the pressure that they're going to send. What do you think about that? And do you think that can really benefit whoever the hell is in the slot and Logan Thomas? Yeah, I, th- I think th- that personnel matchup is very interesting because you know, Jahan Dodson, he is, I don't know that he's exactly uh, among the missing out there. He, d- he started every game so far. Yeah, he, he and Terry McLaurin are both six for six and Dotson and Samuel have both seen 31 targets a piece. I, the big thing with Jahan Dotson is that he's just not catching the ball. He has, he only has, uh, 17 receptions on those 31 targets. That's 54%, almost 55%. Curtis Samuel's got 27 catches on those 31 targets. That's 87% catch rate. So I, I think if he starts to break out, if he gets hot, if he is hanging on to the ball when it goes his way, we're going to see a lot more of him than we have. But then you bring up the personnel packages with Logan Thomas. That is going to be very interesting to watch because the commanders do have Cole Turner and John Bates, both of you, both of whom have started games at tight end. I don't think it would be a surprise to see them to come out in a 12 personnel package, if only for the first drive or two before they get a handle on what kind of defense Wink Martindale is going to throw at them because you've got Logan Thomas. He is a good receiving tight end. He's an acceptable blocker, I guess. But if you could have the two two tight ends out there, then you can use Logan Thomas as that receiver over the middle behind the Giants linebackers, which Okereke and McFadden have been playing very, very well together. They have been like one of the brightest spots on the Giants team over the last couple weeks. So it's almost weird to say that the Giants linebackers could be the reason why they win this game. That that feels very weird to say over the after the last two decades or so of Giants linebacker play. But how the Giants yeah, respond definitely. <laughs> to that 12 personnel package de- is going to be interesting. It definitely does. And I just want to say one thing for clarity. What I was discussing before isn't an indictment on the linebackers. It's the stress that is put on the linebackers from the front employed by Wink Martindale when it is quick passing game. And that's just um, not necessarily if there's any linebacker that can help alleviate that stress, probably Bobby Okereke in those 34 and a half inch arms. But I, I do find the the personnel deployment from Washington fascinating because they've been in 11 personnel so much. And as we know, Chris, covering this team, the Giants, I think they want to see more 11 personnel because they like their sub packages better than they like their base. And uh, I, I can't I can't disagree with them because their sub packages are more effective and it gives Wink Martindale, a wider range of what he can employ from a blitz standpoint, depending on the context of the situation, second and long, third and long, what have you. But Chris, anything else on the offense before we go to the defense? No, like I said, I'm just going to be very interested to see what the what kind of offense Washington calls if they go for that quick game to try to get the ball out of Sam Howell's hands quickly. Just not give him the option of holding on to the ball and trying to blunt as much of Wink Martindale's blitz packages as they can. Of course, that's where the chess match comes in because Wink could say, okay, you're expecting me to blitz. I'm not going to blitz. 
and then hang back in those two high shells and then yeah, just kind of force Washington to dink and dunk and wait for them to make mistakes. It The chess match in this game is going to be fascinating, both personnel-wise and X's and O's-wise. On to Washington's defense. Look, they got a lot of talent there. As I said earlier, a lot of underrated football players. They run a lot of match, some quarters type of match coverage. We saw last year when Daniel Jones was the quarterback, Jack Del Rio was probably one of the more disrespectful play callers against Daniel Jones. Every time there was the ball on the far hash to the field side, so the wide side of the field, Jack Del Rio was basically not really paying attention to that side of the field at all. <laughs> like, like against certain personnel packages, certain alignments, you had basically a curl flat defender covering the flat all the way up to the curl, which isn't a, a huge deal, but they would roll a safety deep if there was any threat, but that safety was typically shading towards the center field saying, we're not, we don't believe you're going to throw to this field side. And you know, the giants never did. So Jack Del Rio might've been right there. I'm interested to see if he does that against Tyrod Taylor, or if he does this against this iteration of the giants with Daniel Jones out on the football field. But I digress a little bit from that point. Let's start here with that defensive line. That's a very scary defensive line. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, even Casey Twohill is one of those hardworking rush type players who is going to play his ass off all the time. How do you think this offensive line the New York Giants are going to employ can contain that rush? And what do you think the Giants game plan is going to be? Because it has to be similar to the Bills. Just get rid of the football quickly, try and establish the run, work the play action, work the crossing routes, try to create explosive plays off that against a leaky secondary. Yeah, I think that really is the way it has to be because the the Washington secondary has been just bad. They have hemorrhaged yards through the air this year. And if Kendall Fuller is not playing, that is a big opportunity for the Giants, especially with Emmanuel Forbes, the rookie, just really struggling out there, uh, apparently being benched, just not seeing the field at all right now. Yeah, yeah Forbes, Forbes got benched during the Chicago game and he had a really bad game against Philadelphia and Chicago and it's also funny Chris because you look at this roster they they have Benjamin St. Juice they have Kendall Fuller and they bring in Emmanuel Forbes kind of as that third outside cornerback and it, it hasn't been great I love Emmanuel Forbes tape I think Emmanuel Forbes is a good football player he's just a step behind like he tried to get that PBU against DJ Moore and it was like an inch away from getting it. It's a little bit, maybe too risky and has to be a little bit more conservative with his approach, but yeah, it has not been great. And benching your first round pick at this point. And also I think they like weren't playing Quan Martin either early. I'm just not certain what Jack Del Rio and, and Ron Rivera are doing from a confidence level from their young secondary pieces that they added. Yeah. I think he had, Emmanuel Forbes, that is. I think he has been just freelancing too much. He's been, like you said, a little bit too risky, maybe not trusting or using his length, his quickness as much as he could, and just really trying to make plays as opposed to just kind of playing his techniques, playing his assignments. And it's going to be a learning process for him. Right now, that just really benefits the Giants that he's trying that he's working through these things and 
not out there being the ball hawk he was in college because when he's comfortable, when he's playing fast, his college tape was very impressive out there. Right now, I think the biggest the biggest thing I am worried about right now is that defensive line and whether or not the Washington defensive line can compensate for a beat up. And as you put it, leaky secondary, because you've got Montez sweat. If it, if the people over in Washington are saying he'll likely be out there, we should probably plan on him being out there. We talked about him in the first half. Then you've got chase young, Deron Payne. Those four guys between the two of them, they're accounting for almost 30. It's 29 right now. Quarterback hits to start. They they all have sacks. Sweat has four and a half. Allen and Young both have three. Deron Payne, who is not... He's not exactly a pass-rushing defensive tackle. He can be disruptive. He's kind of like Dexter Lawrence. He's just a big, powerful disruptor, but not really a pass rusher. Even he has a sack and six quarterback hits right now. So I think the Giants' first priority has to be keeping those four dudes away from who is whoever is under or behind center, whether it's Tyrod, whether it's Daniel Jones, whether it's Tommy DeVito. They have to keep those guys as far away from the quarterback as possible. So maybe that means naked bootlegs, moving the pocket, just quick game, get the ball out as fast as possible, lots of play action. I think Mike Kafka has to get go into his playbook and use every trick in there to just keep the quarterback upright. And it's an offense similar to what we saw last year anyways, right? Like that was yes. the offense last year. The Giants led the league in bootlegs. You want to take advantage of your athletic quarterback and stress defenses, especially if you're not going to challenge downfield. But the one thing I'll say about Tyrod, at least Tyrod was challenging downfield. He had two 30-yard passes to Darius Slayton whenever it was middle of the field closed. And he confirmed, hey, I have a one-on-one -on -one matchup. I'm going to run just basically hitch seams, and then the seam is just going to fade outside the numbers. And that was Darius Slayton, and they really targeted Kyrie Elam with this specific concept, and the Giants were able to strike a couple explosive plays. So I wouldn't be shocked to see that, to see Tyrod uncork it a little bit whenever he likes the matchup. But Washington's defense, before we get out of here, they don't blitz as much as the Giants. Not many teams do. They blitz at a 26.5% rate. They get pressure at a 24.8% rate. That is much more commensurate with with uh, with their blitz rate. <laughs> when you look at the Giants, the Giants blitz a lot more, and their, their pressure rate is lower than 24.8, unfortunately. Washington is seventh in sacks right now, and we know they don't have to blitz that much to get pressure against this offensive line. But I think they still will see some blitz to facilitate the clock. And if I'm Washington, I'm telling Sweat and I'm telling Chase Young, you be disciplined with your contain when you're rushing the passer because the Giants love to break the pocket. It's one of the main things they want to do. I think the Giants will continue to incorporate jet sweep pre-motion or pre-snap jet sweep. It's something that the Giants used basically the entire game last week just to shift defenders and get their eyes to go in a different way to give the Giants just that much more space. And the Giants were able to really hit on some big plays because of that jet motion. I wouldn't be shocked if that ball is actually handed off to whether it be Wandale or Jalen Hyatt, maybe Darius Slayton on that jet motion. But I wanted to just say that, look, man, the Giants need to do 
as good of a job as they can to protect their quarterback, whoever it is. The Giants can win this football game. This is a winnable game. It's the first winnable game since what, Chris? Uh, week two against Arizona. Maybe you can argue uh, week four against Seattle. So a home game against Washington. If you want to try to spark something in this 2023 season, you got to win this football game, man. You got to win this football game. But I mean, it might be too late at this point. Yeah, I would say the Giants do have do still have a path to the playoffs. Yeah, you know, last year we saw the Detroit Lions drop to one and six and still almost make the playoffs last year. And now, you know, they've really built on that. Of course, the the Lions also looked a lot more competitive than the Giants did through their first five games. So I would say the Giants definitely do still have something to play for. They definitely do still have a path to the playoffs. They can make this season season meaningful. But they've basically also used up all of their slack, all of their wiggle room. They have a very tight line to walk to get to the playoffs. And I think the first step in that is coming through and winning this game. They're underdogs at home, which... Frankly, they've kind of earned at this point. But like you said, this is a winnable game. We thought the Seattle game was a winnable was a winnable game. But winnable doesn't mean they're going to win. At this point, I don't know that we can say that about any of these games, particularly with the injury situation on the Giants. But this is probably one of their best chances to win. Uh, I would say this, the Raiders game, the Jets, you know, I'm not the way their defense is playing. I'm not so sure. But right now, let's just worry about Washington. Let's just worry about Washington. Patriots and Packers, too. You could throw them in there, but still there's a lot more football to be played. Hopefully the Giants beat the Eagles. That'd be fun. But anyways, again, a lot more football to be played. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show to preview this week seven. I can't believe it's already week seven. Washington matchup. Thank you for tuning in. Please, if you have not done so already, like, subscribe, comment on the podcast. That always helps us. And head on over to BigBlueView.com where you can check out all of our wonderful written content. Thank you and have a lovely day.